This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 117 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, with the help of special guest Jesse Quack, we discuss episodes 6 through 10 of season 1 of The Expanse. So let's introduce our guest this week. Jesse Quack is the author of the supernatural thriller From Earth and Bone, the Durga System series of gangster sci-fi novels, and the Productivity Guide from Chaos to Creativity. Welcome aboard, Jesse. Thanks for having me. This is fun. A board really fits with this project, right? We're jumping on. Right, yeah. That, I, I think I threw everybody a curveball with that, but that was uh, that was my goal. Come aboard. So, Jesse, we have been covering The Expanse now for two episodes. We did Leviathan Wakes and uh, the first five episodes. And you told me you, you have listened to at least some of our, of our coverage so far. And I wanted to give you this chance to come in and tell us about your relationship with The Expanse. Um, you know, whether or not we're full of shit, you, you know, if you want to talk about that, you can. But um, <laughs> just basically, when did you when did you first see the show? When did you first read the books? And uh, are they important to you? Um, well, my husband brought home Leviathan Wakes. I don't know. It was maybe like the year it came out or like pretty soon thereafter. And he was like, this looks like the kind of book you're going to love. And he was absolutely 100 percent right. So um we we both got into reading him really early. He eventually kind of started wandering off and reading other things, and I kept going with the series. Um, and of course, once the movies came, or the TV show came out, it was like, oh my gosh, we got to watch this. Um, so it's been really fun revisiting those like those earlier books and earlier TV shows. Um, I'm only I've only read through book four, so I'm not like okay. as far along, but. If I had more time to read, I definitely would be, because I, I do love the series. I've really been enjoying your guys' coverage as well. I have to say, when you guys started talking about the characters in um, the series as opposed to the books, um, and you were talking about Holden and his like annoying pout <laughs> and how obnoxious <laughs> he was, and I ran into the other room and was like, Rob... They're spot on. <laughs> Holding oh, okay. so much <laughs> that was, I felt like a controversial opinion when I, when I said it. I was like, I don't know how this is going to fly, but I'm glad to hear that uh, it, held, it held up. I, in the book, I pictured him as older and a little bit more mature. And so he just, the casting really surprised me. So um, I'm, I'm used to him now. And so rewatching it, I'm like, okay, I don't find him nearly as annoying. But oh man, the first time I was just like, who is this guy? <laughs> I do feel like with this with this half the second half that we've gotten there's a little bit less I think I think it was a, an intentional thing I think they were purposely uh, making him seem a little more immature but I will say there was still pouting all over the place so <laughs> Yeah I agree though I think in these episodes he improved his standing in my eyes um it's not just it's not that he like, moved away from that it was more like we got some more information about him it seemed like he was kind of embracing some of that side of himself and not maybe being as like full of himself as he was being in the early episodes, which made, which made him kind of vulnerable in a way that I liked. We'll get into that in this specific episode that I'm, that I'm thinking of where where it really started to turn for me. But yeah, I, I I do, I do like Holden in the show. I don't want to, you know, seem like I don't, I do. Um, He's just taking a little longer to like uh, win me over in the show than he did in the book. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. It's like, 
something about the show seems like you're gonna you're gonna be on board with the characters faster because there's so much character building going on i would say in comparison to the first half of the book but with holden it's just like it's taken some time and i don't know by the end i can kind of see like where the arc will go and maybe if he like one or two less pouts next season and then one or two (laughs) less beyond that maybe we'll start to take him really seriously i mean he does have a very pretty pout like we have to give him props for that. (laughs) he's aware of it (laughs) yeah exactly i don't fault him for being like i'm just gonna use this moment to really show off my dashing good looks um, so I wanted to ask you, Jesse, uh, I know you write a series of gangster sci-fi novels in space, and uh, I had to think that this, if you've read this series and you're writing those kind of books, there has to be some influence there, right? Like, does does this work uh, influence your writing? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of the kind of politics, especially the kind of interplanetary international politics, that's something that I w- was really drawn to in this series. Um Definitely the the class conflict and the kind of haves versus have-nots conflict, um, the sort of colonizers and the people who have been colonized. Like, there's a lot of that that I I find I already have in a lot of my work, and so I resonated a lot and drew a lot from that. Um, and my my series is also set in a like a single single solar system, so there's not like crazy interstellar space travel. It's just all very like this small compact we're all in this together <laughs> it's like one fragile ecosystem don't screw this up guys sort of feel that you also get from the expanse so is it safe to say that that uh fans of the expanse should check out your books i would say so <laughs> <laughs> especially if well. you like the kind of plucky space crews working together there's way way less space tra- travel in my books but um but the plucky crew working together. It's cool. cool. I was, and, you know, coming into the expanse, I guess I just wasn't aware. I hadn't talked to many people about the specifics, but I was expecting kind of this like huge plethora of characters and um, traveling from different galaxies in and out. But this sort of small scale thing really works for me because I feel like it's the step before we get to that. Like if 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 society and, and our you know solar system in general can can just coexist for a little bit longer, maybe the tech will get there. And and it seems like maybe these these Mormons are on a mission to to see what they can do to to further uh, help you know the human race and see how far they can they can take it. But who knows if that's a fool's journey or not? Right. I also one of the things I really love about the Expanse is how you see this big inner solar system fight and politics, but it's told from like really individual stories and it's very personal. Um, because that's something that I think throws me out of a lot of other series, um, just kind of this where you're really only seeing the big political machinations and not the story of the everyday person who's being affected by these bigger political decisions. Um, so I appreciate that they they give us kind of that wider view of everything from the politics all the way at the top, especially in the series throwing in a, a Vassarella and getting that perspective and then you know the little guy on the bottom who's just trying to make his living i like that some of the uh the show decided to give us even more of that there's sort of like these little snapshots in certain episodes of like you know the the father and daughter who were on that civilian ship that were just protesting their living conditions things like that that sort of small scale story that isn't even necessarily as large as the overarching story of somebody like holden or miller I wanted to point out you were you were talking about the size of this series, and I think having it be in our solar system 
gives a certain familiarity. Like we all know kind of where things are. If you've studied like any astronomy at all, you have like a rough idea of where Mars is, you know, where the asteroid belt is, you know, so on and so forth. And so even though it, we're, we are on these like much larger than Earth scales, um, it's not so big like like a like a Star Trek or something or even Battlestar Galactica where you start to sort of just go, yeah, they're in space and anything could be anywhere. They might come upon something. Who knows? Whereas here, it's like they have to play it a little more straight because it's like these are places we're all familiar with and they have certain distances from each other and they have a certain relationship to each other and a certain makeup. And so it holds them to a certain level of truth that I I find really fascinating and I'm really liking about the series so far. There's also a certain level of... um of consequences that I think and, and stakes that are a little bit higher. Like, you know, in star Wars, you can blow up a planet and you're like, Oh shit, that sucks. But like <laughs> if, if they blew up earth or Mars, like you're just like, Oh my God, that's one of the two habitable planets right here. <laughs> like, we don't have right, other yeah. ones guys. So Jesse, I wanted to ask you as someone who clearly Luke and I have just finished the series for the first time and haven't even finished the book, but as somebody who's read some of the books, I wanted to know uh, how much of the show you've seen, um, and, you know, we're doing this coverage in anticipation of season four that's been saved by Amazon. I'm just wondering, like, the excitement level for you or uh, where are you at with that? So because I started watching the show with my husband, I can't keep going ahead without him. And our schedules haven't <laughs> been lining up for a while. He's a sales guy. He travels for work a lot and I travel for work mm-hmm. a lot. So we, I realized, got knocked off sometime somewhere in season three. So we haven't finished season three. Um, okay. but now that seasons four come four is coming out, I'm like, we, we need to make the time here. <laughs> Maybe we'll yeah. binge it over the holidays when he doesn't have to travel so much, but yeah, I'm very excited for season four. Yeah. I was going to tell you, James, I think we, we're going to have to make an executive decision here and that we're just going to, we're just going to watch this thing because I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to wait and maybe do a season two in a year or something. Like, yeah. um, I think we're just going to have to go through it. This is going to be our expanse coverage. So savor it while you got it. Cause we probably won't be covering unless we like one day well, come return for season five or something. But, but yeah, right for now, I think this is going to be it. And we're just going to watch slash read. Cause I actually really want to read the books too. I've been, yeah. I've been enjoying that a lot as well. So, yeah. Uh, all right. So are we ready, James, to move into our episode by episode discussion? Yeah, let's do it. So episode six is called Rock Bottom. In this episode, Miller discovers revealing information on a hidden data cube. Holden and crew arrive at Tycho Station, surprised by their host's hidden agenda. I want to talk about that right off the bat. Them arriving at Tycho Station and meeting, and I guess meeting Fred Johnson for the first time in person. I thought there was a ton of pointless posturing going on here. Um, it was like they, they had this like showdown in a in a hallway where they're pointing guns at each other, and I was like, "What is the point of this? Like, you've already agreed to everything that's happening right now. You've you've docked and boarded. Now you're gonna like pull guns on each other and have this weird posturing thing. I guess they're trying to show that they are distrustful of him, but it it, it seemed a little weird to me. I don't know how did the, how did that scene strike you guys. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I'm I'm trying to remember in the book if there was as much as much posturing, or has that even happened in the book yet? Where you guys have gotten? I don't to? I don't think there was. I think they kind of were like they agreed. They were like, well, we're gonna go there, and we're we're just gonna have to see what he does. And then once they decided to do that, they just kind of stuck with that decision, which is what I was frustrated when they they decided to do the same thing, but then they got there and were like, oh, I don't know about this, and and decided to have this weird showdown in the in the hallway. I don't know. It didn't yeah. make sense to me. 
I notice uh, Amos a lot has these moments where he just gets to hold a gun and potentially shoot it at someone in a, in a, in a potential <laughs> well, that's situation. Well, that's a silver lining because I'm starting to love those moments. <laughs> yeah, personally. so that happens a lot. So maybe it's one of those moments. Um, <laughs> I think they're trying to so distrust with because yeah. I think right now we're still unsure if he has something to do with everything else that's going on, right? Like, is he secretly the bad guy? And I think they're playing with that idea. There's this interesting moment, though, where they're like, we're going to go back to our ship. And he's like, no, you're not. Like, they're not like, what? Why can't yeah. they go back to their ship? Like, yeah. like, I, are you guys on the same side or not? Yeah, I'm telling you, man. It was a bunch of this, like, weird posturing. And then, and then, um, and then it kind of just goes away. Like, they kind right. of just, like, come to an agreement. They're like, okay, I guess we're going to stop doing this and we're fine now. Right? Does that have something to do with the fact that, that Fred found that thing on the Martian? Like he went down below in their ship or whatever and found the the data that eventually he revealed to the world? Well, because in the book, doesn't Holden find that? Or doesn't the Martian give that to Holden? I don't remember it happening that way in the book. I don't remember, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, yeah. um, I don't remember Fred Johnson finding that. I thought it was yeah, something. No, that, I think I think that was a show edition, maybe. Because I guess we also wouldn't have been able to see it if Fred Johnson had found it, because we don't have his right. point of view. Yeah, so maybe he did. Yeah. And we just don't know about it. That's possible. Uh, maybe it'll be revealed in the second half of the book, which we're going to cover next week. We should say so for anybody who's curious about that. We'll be returning to the book. Um, yeah. But anyway, so so in general, though, what what do you think of Fred Johnson in the show? Um, what do we think of Tycho Station and how how it all looks with the big Mormon ship under construction and everything? Visually, it's a really fun set. Like, it's really, it's grand. I like, I like the the Mormon ship and kind of the big sweeping views of it. It's really fun. Yeah, I mentioned in our last episode on the show how I felt like you could really see the sci-fi nature of the show, like the lower budget and the CG and stuff. But when you say sci-fi, you mean sci-fi channel. Maybe we should say sci-fi channel. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Sometimes I it sounds like channel. you're just saying sci-fi the genre. No, 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 no. Not no. What you mean. Yeah. That's not what I mean. Yeah. So no, sci-fi, sci-fi channel, uh, you know, budget and, and for this time period. But I will say like, I started to, re- uh, I think I started to see that less and less as, as the second half went on, um, you know, a couple of moments here and there, but like, uh, you talked about the, the turn and burn kind of flipping and, and, you know, they use that a lot in this show, but there are a couple of moments like, uh, you know, when at the kind of a spoiler for the end of the show, but when they're breaking out at the end and they drop the the sort of gas freighter stuff and they're doing this like super cool uh, Rosinante moment where they're like, look at our ship and how cool the Mars, like cool gadgets and everything. Uh, I think, I think it it actually works really well for a lot of it. And um, I think those moments are like kind of separate the show from another, from a lot of other sci-fi because it's this, um, because I feel like sci-fi, like in general, there's some sci-fi that's like, I would say like Star Trek is for the more analytical sci-fi fan or the more someone who's who's more in for um, a very specific tone, whereas this is clearly trying to be a little more broadly appealing. But it's also it, I don't know, it's it's nice because it's it almost feels a little lighter in a way. I do think it's an interesting mashup of genres, right? Like we're getting we're getting the Western feel of these characters. We're getting the the hard boiled detective we're getting action, but we're also getting like politic and we're getting a bit of that, like uh, a bit of that kind of Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek vibe too. And it's, it's all coming together. And uh, in general, I think it works really well. Not to mention that we got like a bizarre disease that um, is really behaving in ways that uh, I was not expecting. I guess it's called the proto molecule. We heard the first time mm-hmm. the name of it. 
here, yeah. which I assume Jesse, you know more about. So I'm going to ask you not to not to reveal anything beyond these episodes, <laughs> just so we can maintain our our uh, spoiler free nature. Uh, speaking of of things that you might know, uh, I wanted to ask you with Christian. Uh, we talked about it in one of the episodes. I thought maybe that this character was just a show character, but I saw something online that made me think that she wasn't. So I wanted to ask you if uh she is she in the first book and we just haven't gotten to it yet or is she in later books she's in later books she shows up in book two um and i i've been trying to remember from reading book two if we're seeing any of plot points that happen in book two in her storyline or if this is all just kind of new stuff that was made for the show and i i can't quite remember Hmm. but yeah she's she's very pivotal in book two yeah that was my next question is is sort of does any of this happen? Does it just happen out of sequence? Um, because some of the things that she's doing is directly impacting. Well, I guess eventually will, but like her meeting Holden's one of Holden's parents, um, and just th- certain things along the way that feel like it would potentially make waves for the characters in the show later. Mm-hmm. Now that's not in this episode though, so I want to wait to talk about that because I do have some observations. Uh, before we leave Tycho Station, there's a moment where there are people on the outside. I think they're on the outside of the Rosinante, but I'm not 100% positive. It might have been somewhere else. But uh, at one point, the guy just opens his mask when he's in the vacuum of space, and he like mm-hmm. breathes for a second, and he watches the air kind of come out, and then he puts it back down. And I was so like, what What was the point of that? It was so bizarre. I thought we were going to find out that this guy was like infected with the disease or something. I, I And like I honestly started to think like maybe this disease, this like molecule thing, because I started just kind of crafting theories and trying to um, figure out what it could be. And I thought maybe this could be a situation where it was like some sort of organism that had a mind of its own. And if it like latched onto somebody, it would like find a host and then manipulate them. Oh. And I was like, oh, this person can open their mask because they're like not living any longer. And it's this sort of molecule thing that's taken over. Yeah, it was kind of a weird moment. Yeah, it's like they're maybe they're trying to show that because I have heard that a lot of Hollywood movies have overblown how quickly you will die in space. Like that it's not as fast as like a lot of the older movies where people's eyes are exploding and stuff. Like it's not that fast and that dramatic. It is but but it's extremely cold and it would be extremely unpleasant. So you would not choose to do it just willy nilly. Even if you could survive it, you wouldn't be like, oh, I'm just gonna like throw open the hatch for a second and, and feel the icy cold of space. Um, or if Unless you're, you're a badass sun, belter. Like super hot or something. Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's the answer. Uh, but it was just like some random guy, though. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't even like Does character it? building. It was very bizarre. Anyway, Doesn't we don't he, have to spend he, any more time on it. <laughs> well, he pulls something out of his helmet. Like, he, they're, like, he opens the latch and like pulls something out. Oh, you're right. That's what, what it, it was. Now. He was like clearing yeah. something from his mask. That's what it was. Yeah. Which was weird in the first place because because like I remember I was watching with my girlfriend and she was like, what is that? Was that a worm that he just pulled out? Like what, he's just pulling something out of his mask? Yeah, it was a bizarre moment. I don't know why they included it in the show, mm-hmm. but we can move on. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about Holden and Naomi because this I think in this episode it starts to become a thing. And I was like starting to think, is, are they going to try to do some sort of romance here? I feel I feel like they're going to make some create some tension between the two and then never have it go anywhere. But it seems to me by the end of this season, like they're, they are trying to, to gear something up with the relationship there, um, which I don't know how to feel about. Uh, and I don't know if it's a book thing or just a show thing or I, well, I he definitely like, has feelings for her in the book, but they seem more shallow to me. Whereas this movie yeah. seems like more organic, like it's actually developing. I thought that in the book he just mentioned like she was attractive and that kind of thing. 
that that's what I mean. Like yeah. he, he, I remember it was also very quickly after Ade had died, he was already thinking about like what it would be like to be with Naomi, and I was like, this is kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> so it, it just never quite sat with me the right way. Whereas I actually think the show is showing their relationship develop um, yeah. more organically, which I actually mm-hmm. got to give props to the show for because I, I kind of like that. I don't know. I, there's something about just like not having a love relationship between a male character and a female character in a show like that. Oh, you know what well, I mean? I would just like. Well, I should say that I, I don't necessarily mean I think they're going to get together and it's going to be rosy, but right. I also think that there can be there can be a romantic tension there, even mm-hmm. if it's unfulfilled and it never goes anywhere. It can be interesting. Yeah, and I guess it also like bounces off of the sort of Amos relationship that we don't understand with Naomi at this point. Yeah, it definitely feels like the the show is doing a little better, um, I guess, more smoother handling of that romantic relationship as it starts to become whatever it will be. Mm, I'm sure you know more than you would say. Yeah. We appreciate <laughs> you not spoiling us. Um, so so I, I want to talk about Anderson Dawes um, because I was really taken with the story he tells about his sister Athena here to Miller. Um, and he tells this because he says something about he accuses him of killing his sister. And then he tells this story about Athena who was born with some sort of bone condition and he did kill her, but he seems to really revere her. And he, she was a kind of a sacrifice to save the rest of his family. Um, and it's clear that he has a lot of pain about it. But then Miller counters of like, well, it's always somebody else who gets sacrificed, never you. And so I just thought this was a really good exchange. Again, I love Jared Harris. And I think he's nailing this character who um, was not a standout for me in the book, but is really doing a lot here in the show that, that makes me very compelled by him. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see the impact that he has going forward because clearly he's going to be a huge player with the sort of leading of the OPA. Um, I was surprised to, when we get to the Julie stuff, I was surprised like he makes an appearance and it is kind of like, oh man, like what kind of person is he? Because clearly with this story, we're understanding that he's ruthless and uh, I mean, willing to kill your own sister is pretty, pretty wild. Uh and then we see what, like, what does he care about? Is it all for the cause or is there people that he does care about? Yeah, he's definitely caught my attention much more in the series as well. Um, yeah, just a really interesting, complicated character. And I would watch him act just forever. I actually, <laughs> yeah. I was curious about something that struck me as I was rewatching this. Um, there's a scene, and I can't remember if it was in this episode or earlier, but he talks about the scars on his neck mm-hmm. and how they're from like an old spacesuit design or whatever that would leave you burn scars and Mm -hmm. all of the belters have scars on their necks that have that same or not scars but tattoos on their necks that have like that Mm -hmm. same gap and i was wondering if that's like a a subtle world building thing that they're doing it's so funny you mentioned that uh my wife said the same thing she has also read uh she's read all the books and she's seen the show um and that was something she pointed out to me in this rewatch and i was going to bring up as my next point (laughs) um that exact observation that's so cool um yeah exactly i love that that they they set up like there's these scars from these old helmets and then they've already shown that all these belters have the tattoos there and they leave you to put to connect the knots and say okay so they're getting tattoos to cover up these scars i think it's brilliant world building and i uh, yeah i definitely really appreciate it yeah because they never talk about it and i didn't notice it the first time around it was just all of a sudden it's like wait a second (laughs) i wonder if that's something about a second watch because i think that's this is her second watch too so she was able to pick that out whereas i definitely didn't like put that together you know my first time yeah that's cool i i had no idea i didn't even realize that it's also cool just as a signifier to the audience like this is a belter as soon as you see them you know yeah well, and then the idea of like the old spacesuits were so bad that they were leaving scars on your neck. 
Like they've they've had to deal with some shit. You know what I mean? Bad mm-hmm. equipment, bad bad um living situations. Um, so you kind of feel for the Belters and their cause here. So I wanted to move on and just talk about uh, Miller and he this evidence that he finds and he brings it to his captain and uh, she cl- clearly has been bought off and takes it from him and fires him. Right. I found it to be effective. I th- I thought it was like you know him him bringing it to her and, and the betrayal happening there. Um, I'm sure he wishes that he didn't bring it at this point. And, and he he looks over and he sees the OPA tattoo on somebody and he realizes that that she's in the pocket of the OPA and there's corruption. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it it untethers Miller in a way from his um his role that he that he has on series and and I think it it, it makes the character more adrift and um which makes him fascinating. I actually I continue to be really interested in Miller in the show in a way that I wasn't quite in the book. I think one thing that's interesting about that is that it's not like the police force was held up to be this really stellar thing ahead of time. It's like her betrayal is a slight more step beyond what he's willing to do, but it's not right. It's not like they were sterling silver beforehand, you know, which I just thought that was a really interesting um, way of, of portraying that. It's a cool sort of, um, I almost want to say it's like a grimdark moment, but I don't know if that's really fair, but it's, it's a, uh, it's, you have this morally gray character who's willing to compromise and willing to, he looks at someone else who's, who's like this pure, like his, his former uh, partner who, who was like judging him for being kind of corrupt. And he's like, you just don't know the way it is yet. We see there is a limit and like, uh, you know what I mean? There's like a, there's like a step too far and maybe it's only just because of what he, you know, him caring about Julie Mao and, and, and being caught up in the investigation to where this is too far for him. Um, and maybe even shows that like, maybe he was wrong and that they shouldn't have been doing this. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting character moment though, because we have not seen this character be this like upstanding anti-corruption cop, like you said. And in fact, they're more of what they are just like a corrupt security force essentially. Right. Mm. So it shouldn't be that surprising when, when this happens yet, we can tell that it is a betrayal to him. Yeah. It's also interesting to think about the fact that he, had hope enough to think that his superior officer would, you know, do the right thing if the evidence was was shown there, and clearly he was wrong. So I think I think Miller's maybe maybe in that moment it's a, it's a signifier to us that Miller is more hopeful and he's more of an optimist than he like puts on a, that sort of like hard ass like you don't know what I've been through kind of world that he lives in uh, might just be sort of an act. You're right. That's I. I really like that the observation that he he is more hopeful than he's putting out to the world. I think is is really true. Yeah, he's got he's got a little bit of a heart of gold in there. We 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 get that sense, right? <laughs> um, so I do have a few small scenes I want to touch on before we we leave this episode. Um, there is there's a scene where Alex and Amos are in a brothel, and we learn two things. We learn that Alex has a wedding ring that he wears, but Amos says you're not married, and he seems to not push back against that so we, we we suspect there's more of a story there maybe he is divorced or maybe they're dead i don't know but he's wearing the ring still and then we also learn that amos grew up in places like this and so that i think starts to tell us more about amos as a character which we're going to learn more about him a lot in these next few episodes and um this is where i really started um i i mean he's kind of becoming my favorite character i really yeah. really am compelled by him and uh, I love just sort of the drama he creates with his sort of dead-eyed brutality. 
that yeah. he can bring to I any mean, scene where he's so unpredictable. You don't know what he's going to do. And, and I just, I, I love him and, and what he's putting on the screen. I definitely think it's the intention of the filmmakers to make him everyone's favorite because, because whether or not you agree with what he's doing, he's so unpredictable and so captivating that you're just like all, all in for the ride. Like you're just like, he's, he's the most interesting person on the ship. Mm-hmm. I felt like all of, all of the ship's crew, except for Holden were like, they didn't get hardly any backstory at all in the book and I going through you know rereading it again I'm like oh right all of these things that I know about them I know from the series I don't know from the books themselves and so I mean especially Amos he obviously is such a great captivating character in the series and then rereading the book I'm just like oh my god he's so cartoony (laughs) he's just like (laughs) these like cartoony meathead throw throw away lines that you're like oh man you guys have this great character (laughs) Um, that's a good point I didn't even think about that yeah I think he he really is shining in the show in a way that he doesn't in the book he is sort of just a um, he's just kind of brutish guy that doesn't have a lot of uh, nuance to him whereas this show performance does yeah that's a good point so I the other I have two other scenes I want to talk about briefly Um, one of them there is this there's this sequence with this uncle and his and his son I think or his I guess his nephew and he there they have something where they're like they put something in a net and then some of it escapes and they get boarded by a Martian transport or a Martian patrol and then afterwards um he airlocks his nephew into space and he's like someone will pick you up and then and then it seems like he drives the his own ship to blow up the patrol I assume um in sort of a suicide mission and then they just leave the guy floating in space and we're left with this shot of him just sitting like just alone there and i was just thinking about how like terrifying that would be and how it's kind of the nightmare of of space is the idea of being just left unable to do anything and just being alone and far from anybody and i don't know it was it was really interesting and i was kind of surprised they didn't come back to it i thought that we were going to get some sort of follow-up to that but at least so far we haven't um what did you guys make of that scene definitely was kind of that world building of like this is how angry people are getting that they're willing to you know sacrifice themselves to take out this martian ship um yeah that was because at first you're like because he seemed angry at his nephew and so you're like oh my god he's just gonna like throw him out the the airlock because he's yeah, mad at him and like, you're like oh you're shit here, he's saving you. him <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was, I was confused by it until I realized what he was actually doing. So really the last thing is just that the, uh, the Tachi or now the Rosinante, uh, they dress it up like a gas freighter and they, and they leave the station, Tycho station. I did want to point out, uh, Naomi says to Fred Johnson that she has a name for him. And at some point she's going to come to him and she wants him to help her find the person, I guess, or locate this person. And she doesn't say the name and we don't know who it is. And then it's a dangling thread that we don't get the answer to throughout these episodes. Um, and Jesse, you may may know the answer to that, but um, I didn't know if you maybe had any theories about it, James, because I kind of don't. But I'm curious no. to know if you did. Yeah, I don't think I'm supposed to. I think it's like yeah. a thread to be left for. A, and I'm realizing there's a lot of threads in this that they are very clearly just saying like, just wait until we get to this. Wait until we get to this. So there's a lot of things right. being buried here for later. Okay, so episode seven is called Windmills. Holden and crew realize they're not alone on the Rosinante and find themselves up against a Martian military blockade. Believing all is lost, Miller finds a new reason to forge ahead. Avasarela visits Holden's family in Montana. So 
they're pinged by this Mars ship right away. Uh, and I actually think that this episode was one of my favorites. Uh, it's sort of, they're pinged, and then I believe Amos goes below, and he sees, he finds the stowaway. Uh, and then we're led to believe that it's, you know, somebody who's working with Fred, which I don't know if we ever, we, I don't think he is. From, from what, I, what I understand, he's, later on we learn he's working for Earth. Seems right? like it, yeah. Yeah. Seems like it. So what did you guys think of finding that guy? It was an interesting departure from the book, I thought, and it, I okay. definitely added the added more drama. I I agree that this was one of my favorite episodes. Um, I actually really enjoyed this episode. I really liked this, uh, the drama surrounding this hostage. Um, I thought Amos is uh, he gave a speech at one point about the churn, that mm-hmm. I think was one of his best moments in in, in the whole season. That was and, cool. Yeah. Um, it really gave us an insight to how he views the world. And from then on, I, I kept thinking about that speech whenever he was doing anything. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is how this guy views the world. It's just kind of like death is just a thing. We're all it's gonna happen to all of us. He's he's accepted that it's gonna happen to him at some point, and he's okay with it. And he it's not personal, but like he doesn't mind killing people either because it's all just part of the churn. And mm-hmm. um, if I'm doing it justice, but like it was it was a cool it was a cool little speech. And and um, I, yeah, I agree. This was this was a really good episode. The, I, I feel like the character that they were setting up with the stowaway, he immediately felt like just the way he was talking and the way he was, you know, we didn't necessarily know that he was undercover, like sort of a spy at first. But the way that he was being set up, I was like, this is an important character. Like I just felt it in my bones mm-hmm. that this guy was going to be relevant in some way. And then nearing the end of the season, I thought I was wrong only to find out that I was right again. You know what I mean? Yeah, it comes I, back and I forth. Wanted to, I wanted to shout that out because I think it's very difficult to have a character like this that isn't like obviously bad or obviously not bad. He really walked that line of like, you didn't know if you could trust him. He kept doing like suspicious things, but you didn't know like to what end he was doing them. It was right. he just self-preservation or was it truly nefarious? By the end of the season, it feels to me like it was self-preservation, like trying to do the mission, definitely, but also like self-preservation in there because like he'd go to a set, he'd be like, you know, sent to his cell and like the door would close and then he'd be like trying to hack their shit, trying to like open up and pull out drives and things like that. So it's like at every turn, you're like, what is he doing? And he's got that crazy eye thing. So just really, really um, um, resourceful character, which Mm -hmm. is always kind of fascinating in in a setting like this. Now, do you know, I guess it's kind of a spoiler, but I just want to know, do you know if this character like comes back in the books later? Like, is there sort of a character that this is being set up for in the books that you've read about? Or is this just like a show only thing as far as you know? I know that Avasarela does have a spy that she works with, but in he shows up in season two as a different guy. Um Okay. Yeah, so I I think he's show only. I could be wrong about that. I could be misremembering. Well, it seems like he has a Stranger Things role to play here at the very end of the show. <laughs> right. Well, you also pointed out uh, that the that James S. A. Corey, um, Daniel Abraham, and and Ty Frank are writers on the show. So, like you said, it kind of is coming from the same source in that sense, right? So even if he is a show only addition, maybe they're adding him too. So it's it's kind of. It's all canon, it seems like to me. Like, it's hard to separate the two. I think yeah. so. I think that's one of the things that I really like about this show is that it there are a lot of things that are different from the book and, you know, even the order in which they tell events. Um, but it just, it still feels like the exact same story because it's being essentially written by the same people. And so I I think that, 
you know, they told the book in the book form and then they're telling the TV series in the TV series form. And I, I think it, this is one of those stories that um, they do a really good job of telling the story in the right form for what they're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's weird to think of a show as, as taking its time more than the book did. And I just like was so, I, I don't know, it kind of blew me away like that we read read half a book and then the first season was basically half a book. Yeah, it ended up being a really good spot to stop. Um, I was going to mention, we, we kind of lucked out. We thought we were stopping at this like really random spot and and we were like, I don't know this is gonna re- how this is going to play when we go over to the show, but it actually ended up being all the way through the final episode before we even got past where we were in the book, um, other than a few things here or there that I suspect are still yet to come in the book that, that we did see in the show. But I, I did want to shout out another excellent um, scene, and that was the, the um, Eva Sorella visiting Holden's parent, uh, Holden's mom. Um, on that on that house, and it, it, I don't know. It was very dramatic with the red and uh, against the white. Um, but I also really liked, and this is probably stating the obvious, but I really liked that he grew up on a windmill farm. And we know that the Rocinante is named after the horse from Don Quixote, who famously tilts at windmills, right? So I, right. I kind of came full circle with me for me there. That uh, the, and they don't lay they don't lay it out. They don't say that that's it, but you can kind of make the connections are there to be made. You know? Yeah. So I gotta say, with this this you know kind of showdown with with Avis Arela and Holden's mom, I was ex- I I felt like when you know I still kind of had this sort of weird feeling about Holden in the show. And when we got to this situation, I was like, okay, this is their their this is gonna be their way to start to sell us on this character. But and I kind of felt like it was gonna be bullshit at first. I was like, ah oh, man, this is gonna be this is not gonna work, and it's gonna be. Uh, kind of forced and then by the end of the conversation they had I was kind of like okay I, I do like holding a little more than I did just based on that conversation I mean it, and it had a lot to do with the sort of like um, him being brought up in a world where he was like you know all for the cause and then and then t- come to find out it was like a pointless thing that was never going to happen it was sort of like they were trying to save the land I believe and yeah. he was like willing to to fight tooth and nail for it but it was never going to work out so um, his mom found a way to like kind of channel that and and send him off to to bigger and better things. Uh, I just thought that that's a that's a pretty solid backstory for a character like him. It does kind of set him up as the patron saint of lost causes for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, Evisarelli even says at one point that he's got this like he's got a savior complex or something. Like he he wants to save the world, and um, I, I I like that, and and I I like what comes later that sort of um, takes that very noble idea but then tempers it with his inexperience. And we see, especially when he starts interacting with Miller, we see that he's not the badass that he maybe has been projecting that he is, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I thought that actually took the character a long way for me and really differentiated him from other some of the other characters that we're seeing. And it's like, he's not Amos. He's not Miller. Mm-hmm. He's not this, like, jaded, hard-boiled character. And in fact, he's really uh, this, like, optimist and... Um, uh, you know, like like he has that savior complex. He wants to save everybody. He wants to do the right thing. He's a very good person, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, I, I guess this softens the blow for moments where it's like a little over the top when he's like, you know, they're like, you don't need to be involved in this. And he's like, I'm going to get involved in it. Like those moments <laughs> yeah. where he's just like, he's going to do it because it's for the sake of the story and his yeah. character. Well, and he comes it, up as naive when he does that. But now it's like, it's intentionally naive. Like they're right. they're saying like that is his character versus right. like, it, it, you know, it feels worse if, if you feel like the showrunner are trying to set him up to be a badass. 
who, right. who, and they don't realize that it's making him sound naive. But this is instead, no, like, no, that is just how this guy is. He is naive, and he doesn't really know what he's saying, and he doesn't really know the implications of what's going on. Yeah. Right, and I think so, that's maybe why I liked him better on the rewatch, you know, just that, like, having mm. that in my mind, I was like, oh, okay, well, let's just hold in. Whereas the first time, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think about how, like, you know, the show is really, it's really sucked me in, and it's it's dug its claws into me at this point, and, like, I'm a fan yeah. of the show, and, and I think, like, even, even with the things that I don't think are perfect, it seems like they're... On, they're kind of on the same wavelength as me, so they're like, we know that you're not like super into Holden, but eventually you'll probably like him a lot more. And I just yeah. assume that that's how it's going to be going forward. So I have to share that my my wife said, uh, "Oh, Holden, he's just really extra. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's pretty extra for sure. I mean, Out I would say that Miller Miller's also pretty extra. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're talk about extra characters. <laughs> Fair enough. So, do you guys want to talk about Donkey Balls? <laughs> Oh yeah, the code. That was a cool sequence, though. I actually thought that was really compelling. But yeah, man, yeah, it was very. That tense. was funny. Al- Alex definitely has a bunch of these like one-liners, and sometimes they don't land at all for me, but sometimes they do, and sometimes they're funny. Uh, yeah. This one was pretty funny. It was funny, like you know, and he said donkey balls like a lot in the episode, like many, many times, and like yeah. I felt like each time it was a little less funny. But then at the very end, when he when he nailed that the moment, he read off the code and he was like something something donkey balls, and he said it again. I was like, oh my god, yeah. all right. It was like probably something to do with the rule mendacious. Of I can't remember the words now. Uh, ubiquitous. I think ubiquitous. Was ubiquitous, one. mendacious, uh, polyglottal. That was the other one. Nice donkey balls, and then donkey balls. <laughs> Yeah, pretty pretty yeah, good. Just, it's it's pretty solid, and I think it's like maybe there's like some sort of like comedy rule of three thing in there, and like eventually yeah. it became funny. Uh, yeah. He has but, a delivery that I'm still coming around on. I think he has kind of this. I don't know. It's 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 interesting delivery of these lines, right? Where he mm-hmm. it almost sounds like he's trying. He's like doing an impression of somebody when he says them. Sometimes Does a that little make bit. Sense? Yeah, I could see yeah. that. Um, so, but but it's clearly just how who he is. So I, I think I just have to. Maybe I just need to get used to it. The last bit of the episode is uh, Miller uh, getting thrown into that airlock and then being oh, saved yeah. by his his I don't know ex lover I'm assuming ex person like yeah uh, and then uh, and then he basically decides to leave then and that does kind of roll into the next episode so unless you guys had something specific I can start Octavia Muss the his like fellow officer and partner I think they're rolling in like his ex wife from the book and also like. Because Octavia Must does become his partner at some point in the book, like after Havelock is like mm-hmm. leaves. So I think they're just rolling mm-hmm. those two characters together, which is why it, it seems a little confusing in the in the show. So mm-hmm. she, we're assuming that she'll show back up. Then it seems like yeah, or we should assume that I guess. Uh, the reason, so the reason I said that this rolls into the next episode is is we get uh, Miller on the ship talking to the Mormon, which I definitely want to talk about. But but let me read this description here of this episode. This episode eight is called Salvage. The crew of the Rosinante discovers a derelict vessel holding a secret they may destroy humankind. Holden and crew are led to Eros, where they finally cross paths with Miller, only to make a horrifying discovery. On Earth, Ava Sorella receives devastating news. So yeah, let's jump back to that Miller uh, Mormon conversation. He, uh, it's kind of faith-based and sort of the, the the journey that they'll be going on. Uh, I like this scene. What did you guys think of it? I, I liked kind of the questions it raised about like, well, what if you don't find anything? You're just going out. And what if you don't find a habitable planet? And he's like, well, we keep going. That's just what mm-hmm. we do. It's like a purpose. 
it shows and this I couple this with like the previous episode. I think there was a moment where he's having self-reflection on one of those like trams. And yeah, I think it's when he recorded the message to his ex. Um, but it seems like we're getting a very con- contemplative Miller here who was faced with death and he's like questioning what he actually believes in and like what his purpose is. And he's chasing after Julie Mao, but it's like, he, I don't, I don't even know if he actually believes he's going to be able to save her, but he's desperately wants to. And I think when he's talking to this, this character, I think he's trying to maybe just get a taste of like what it's like to have faith in something like that. And, and is that something he wants or I don't know. It just, he seems like a character who's in search of answers for himself. And, and, and this, yeah, this was an interesting look at him. And and I think over the next few episodes actually is some of my favorite stuff with Miller. And this is kind of the start of that. It's like you said, he's searching for answers and for himself maybe, but by proxy as a proxy, he's just looking for Julie because that's what he knows how to do is hunt down a case. And mm-hmm. so in, you know, lieu of anything else, he's, he's going after it. Well, in the, in the, and if you, if you look at the, the comparison between uh, a Mormon uh, generation ship, potentially going somewhere where there is no habitable planet, but going anyway, him going after Julie to try and save her. Yet he knows that it might be too late yet. He's doing it anyway. So there's kind of a parallel there. I think maybe they're trying to make. Uh, there's something that I want to predict about Miller, but I don't know if I should do it yet, but a lot of this stuff that's built up over these few episodes before, well, I guess specifically the last episode in this episode, right into when they, when he meets up with Holden's crew, um, feels to me like someone who look, we've been talking about his purpose and like he does, he feels like other than finding Julie Mao, like what is his purpose? It doesn't seem like he can do anything right. And it, and he's kind of like talking shit to himself at one point about how like he thought he was good at this, at investigating at one point, but he really isn't and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about it in a bit, but like what ultimately happens with Julie, uh, what does that do to his character? And also I will talk about it more when we get there. So, they find the Rosinante finds a stealth ship out on an asteroid in the at the coordinates that they were sent to by by Fred right by the Tycho station and this is kind of the key to to all of the scopuli the this is the what we find out is the key to the scopuli but it's the uh the ship that attacked the cant so it's like a lot of threads are being pulled and and things are coming together uh, mm-hmm. And then they use this this stowaway as like the canary in the coal mine, as as uh, Amos says, I think, or something, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean works, right? Like that you're gonna do that in a, in this sort of situation. You're not gonna send your best first. Yeah, no, it, and it also shows his brutality of like, I don't care about you, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I I also have a quote from Amos here. I wrote down just I, I'm not even sure where it occurs in the episode, but at some point he says, "Please shut your word hole." And I just love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that that canary in the coal mine comment, um, like, it also helped develop the spies character a little bit more. Where you're like, oh, I know you're probably not up to any good, but you are kind of likable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we walks that fine line of like, you don't know whether or not you should distrust him, and and. The, it, there was a bunch of times where Amos had had his back to him, and I kept expecting something to happen. But then mm-hmm. he, then he, then he wouldn't take advantage of this moment where he had a, mo- like he had a, a moment where he could have done something. To Amos, it seemed like, um, but he didn't. He didn't capital. He didn't ch- take that moment to do anything. So, it's well, I like, think that's self preservation too. How would he have gotten home? <laughs> right. 
Well, push and pull. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Like, if he was a mustache-twirling bad guy, though, he probably would have done something. Like, you know, most of the time they do. But he doesn't. It it really just seems like he's a smart character who has sort of uh, uh, mixed uh, motivations. And he's just interesting. Like, his role here is sort of villainous, yet Mm -hmm. it doesn't make him a bad guy by definition. Yeah, and he's so outwardly manipulative, right? Like we we right. can see it at whenever he's talking to to Holden, he's just like, you know, you're not the bad guy. You're, I know you're not a bad guy, and that kind. Of, and he, you know, I think he doubts sort of that Holden has it in him to kill anybody or anything in general. He just he just seems to be able to read people really well and then manipulate them based on that. And I'm sure that makes him a great spy. Right. So the, in this ship, they find eventually, you know, it's very, I think it's really tense. I, I like a lot of the stuff that happens in the ship, but eventually uh, Holden and Naomi are, are floating over the reactor and they start to realize that this black stuff that they see all over it is, is moving and activating from the radiation and the ship being on. And then they get the hell out of there really quickly and they nuke it. Nuke it from orbit. It's the only way. Yep. <laughs> all right. It's my favorite aliens line or one of my favorites. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, they uh, and then and then they immediately leave and go to Eros. Like I was surprised that it happened so fast, but yeah, we, we immediately shift gears and go straight to Eros. Which um, I wasn't sure if we were going to get the same sort of like big set, big station with a bunch of different locations, but we definitely get it here, and it's and it's actually I was really impressed with it. Yeah, again, I, they're just they. I think they're really showing that like although restrained by a budget, like they they went for it with this show. Like it it was like the best that they could do like a sci-fi the sci-fi channel was like we're gonna we're gonna make this show everything we can make it and you can tell from the sets and honestly like i I was really taken by a lot of the cinematography there's i think in the last episode of the season there's this scene just visually this scene that takes place in in the arcade and like the lighting that goes on in there Mm -hmm. and sort of like being in those neon lights man it's just great it just looks so good good. on camera but i was just i'm just noticing that like it's a quality tv show and and i I really think that they, they you know, I, I haven't seen Battlestar Galactica, but I would assume that this is probably one of the better produced shows ever to be on sci-fi. I, I agree with that, actually. Um, although, I you know, I haven't seen, like, every show on sci-fi channel. But, um, yeah, this leads us to the shootout at this flop house where Miller fr- finally meets the crew of the Rocinante. And um, I just wanted to, to weigh, you know, to get your guys' thoughts on this um, because it's a very cool moment in the book, very cool moment in the show. We've been waiting for these characters to meet. And uh, yeah, what were, what were your thoughts? I love the the moment when like Amos realizes that Miller's on their side and he's like about to shoot him and then pulls up his gun. He's like, nope, don't know who you are, but I know I'm not shooting you. <laughs> that was it. I love it. Yeah. So that's, I just feel like there's such a conscious decision to be like, Amos is awesome. Like he's going to hold the gun at him and then he pulls it away. And it's just like that, that's so much. I don't know. I loved it. I actually also really like that he doesn't posture. That's something I'm noticing with Amos. Like he doesn't seem interested in posturing with people. Because there's a couple times where, like, somebody says something that's very challenging or very, like, he gives a command. And then, like, the camera pans over because I think we're all wondering, like, how's Amos going to react to being told what to do here? And he often just kind of has, like, a little shrug or something. He's like, whatever. Like, he, he, he that's why when I mean he's, like, kind of unpredictable. Because you could see him totally bristling, but then he just doesn't. And I think he also kind of recognizes that Miller kind of knows what he's doing knows how to handle himself, and so he's willing to let him take the lead, for example, when they're going to investigate the room that Julie's in. Um, there's a moment where it seems like he's, it's like, are they, is he going to be okay with this? And Amos just kind of shrugs, like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, like, he's just very confident in himself, you know? Like, he doesn't need to posture. Right. 
Yeah, and I think we need to mention the fact that the stowaway very clearly betrayed them with this like little eye camera that he has that connected to the internet now that he was on a station somewhere. Uh, he's like yep. taking pictures with his eyes. And I, I think that that was a moment where we were like, if he hadn't done that, you know, I think he's a redeemable character that we're like, well, he's he's just some badass spy that's out there. But clearly he he was still going forward with his mission and it wasn't just self-preservation. So he is kind of a bad guy in our eyes. Um, yep. <laughs> and then, you know, it needed to be resolved later. Uh, let's talk about the Julie Mao stuff, though, because yeah. this was pretty horrific. It was more than I th- expected to see again on Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, there's some real body horror going on here. Yeah, like the book description was awful, but the visual, <laughs> it was, I don't know if it was worse, actually, because the book description was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're mm-hmm. both pretty awful. There's just something about seeing it that is very visceral, though, right? I mean, how and brutal it, is the the one the crystal or whatever you would call it coming out of the mouth? It's just like yeah, ah. yeah. The the whole thing is just makes me cringe because it's just it's just kind of disgusting. And then yeah, the crystals coming out of your skin, ooh, that's rough and weird. Um, and then I just I really thought this was some great performance, uh, a great performance here by Miller, um, the actor who plays Miller. Well, you know his name, right, James? I've forgotten it now. Thomas Jane. Yeah, Thomas Jane. I thought he nailed this. I, you really see the emotion. You really see the how like sad he is that he's failed. He feels like he's failed this woman that he's that he promised to himself that he was going to try and save. And um, I love that they had him to kind of tell him like, "Don't touch her," because he was going to. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he he just didn't care in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the pain was very clear on his face. So the beginning of next episode, episode nine, is called Critical Mass. A flashback to Julie's origin story reveals her trajectory. Holden and Miller finally meet and team up to get to the bottom of the strange emergency situation happening on Eros. As the true horror of the events on Eros is revealed, an ailing Holden and Miller must overcome incredible odds if they hope to live to fight another day. So yeah, you were just talking about the Julie stuff and we immediately get her flashback, which we kind of, the show started with basically. That sort of um, moment where she sees something within the black ooze and screams and all of that and her being captured. And we get more of that, and it's intercut a little bit with with some of Miller investigating and that kind of thing, and uh, tying these two characters together. I I I don't know if I mentioned it in the episode or not, but I did feel like this sort of infatuation that he had with Julie was it was weird, right? Like we were supposed to, as an audience, feel like it was weird um, because it was like he was so. I think even in the book it said he it, it was almost like he was in love with her and it's like he doesn't even know her how could he be in love with her and it does seem like they they played that through in the show because he seems devastated like he knew this person um on a very real level and then it does seem like he loves her kind of and he keeps seeing her and and although it may be just what she represents to him just like it did in the book it's more than you were expecting well I think like when you when you see her in the prologue and you like see how kind of badass she is in the prologue and you want to see more of her and you get these little glimpses like I think for the audience it's kind of devastating to see that she's dead because you're like I was really hoping this character is going to be part of this like you know Mm -hmm. join up the ensemble and like be this badass character but instead like she's just kind of a placeholder for everybody's expectations of her you know like Mm -hmm. every all of the stuff that Miller puts on her like is that you know, we never get to see her as she truly is. All of the stuff that, like, the guy who Miller in- interrogates who clearly was in love with her, like, all of her parents' expectations. Um, so she just kind of becomes this, like, I don't know. I really, I wish we would have gotten to actually see Julie Mao. Well, and, and when we did, we had the scene where he, she was with the Belters, and it was, like, literally one scene. 
and in that scene i feel like there's a lot of character there that, that like i agree it would have been really nice to have explored and seen that character yeah i was glad for the little bit we did get here because it is more than we got in the book um but yeah i agree that i think for miller it seems like she represents like a chance at salvation or something like Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's maybe a chance to be a better person or a chance to have meaning and for to what he's doing. Um, I don't even think he knows what it what it means to him. But yeah, he's definitely idealizing her and and kind of it's his imagining of what she is. Now he does get to know her a little bit from like reading all of her diary and like her logs and stuff. Or we get more of that in the book, I think. Um, but still, like he he didn't actually know her. I think that Dawes even points out earlier on, he's like, she would hate you. You represent everything she she disliked because mm-hmm. you're a company man and everything, right? Which I actually think kind of shakes Miller to his core. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's trying to become something maybe she would have liked more. I don't know. Um, it's very mysterious because he doesn't know her. So it's all, it's really more self-motivated with just her as like this figurehead or something. We, as we can see, she has the best of intentions and like, she's kind of trying to stick it to earth as a, like supporting the belters while also sticking it to her dad. And like, there's, there's a lot that's like baked in there. Um, you know, she was, I feel like she was just starting to, starting to come into her own and she was like, she'd found an organization she believed in and she was like, uh, standing up for people who needed it. And then it's just all snuffed out. And we see uh, we see the revelation that her father is sort of behind some of this. Um, we see the doctor, I think named Dresden, who is performing some sort of test on her body, um, maybe harvesting things, talking about her being a host or something. It was kind of unclear what exactly is going on there. Um, definitely seems very nefarious, seems tied to all the stuff that's been going on. And it seems like maybe her father uh, is at the sort of the heart of this uh, mysterious force or mysterious group that is causing all this trouble and starting wars. Yeah. So in the in Aero Station, the, there's a ship that blows and it sort of starts a chain reaction uh, that would have all of the citizens rounded up. And well, if, I guess at first they're trying to escape and then they're sort of, sort of started to be rounded up by a new police force of sorts that we see. Um, yeah. But also around this time, we're getting Christian and she goes and visits the um, the ambassador that she had kind of betrayed politically. At one point, he has killed himself because he can't he's dealing with sort of um, all of his dreams crumbling around him. And so he's killed himself and she goes to visit his widower. And uh, it's pretty, pretty brutal, I would say, like she 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 can really feel the devastation of like him being like. You know, he always said that you were so hard to forgive or something like that. And she's like, basically, he says he's never going to forgive her. And uh, it's pretty, pretty brutal. And she goes to his desk and finds these pencils, which at first were like, okay, is this a keepsake? At least I thought it was this just a keepsake to remember him by. But, but no, she's always this. got like a secret ulterior thing. Like even when she's in there, yeah. like visiting her grieving friend. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm super, super interested in this character because it, it, I'm I'm wondering if she's like a Cersei character and eventually she's going to be like full on evil and she's always like, she's got personal interest. She but because seem, She doesn't seem evil to me in that in that same way that Cersei is though. I agree. That, and that's that's the other option that I, I think is more likely because we do start to see her kind of saying what other people want to hear rather than what we kind of can see morally she would you know what i mean she she there's the the person above her within the un who uh says something and she goes along with it and we can tell that she's like struggling with it uh because it's kind of going against her morals and sort of i think she ultimately has the greater good of earth at at uh heart 
but right. interesting nonetheless because it sometimes it doesn't necessarily seem that way she talks a lot about um i just think she's she is she's lost a son and i think she has another son that she's very worried about losing well and i think she she is a power hungry character it seems like to me um who's positioned herself to where she's at now and is looking to probably climb higher um so i think at the very least she's maybe sort of a little finger type character <laughs> um yeah she i mean she, i guess this isn't maybe it's a spoiler she's one of my favorite characters in book two um so okay. i was okay. i love the actress who plays her and i think she does such a great job and i don't i can't remember if you guys said this but like i mean she's an old lady and i love that i love mm-hmm. that like she's this badass yeah. old lady who just constantly swears and is <laughs> you know everyone's kind of terrified of her and it's just so fun to see like this older woman like at the height of her power like being behind the scenes and manipulating everybody and you're just like oh man <laughs> it's really refreshing right like i love seeing that sort of character like uh she and they have that conversation she and her husband i'm assuming have have the conversation on the rooftop where she's like i'm just an old lady and like she's like i'm gonna do what's expected of me which is basically like not fully under comprehend what's going on and sort of be outmaneuvered in situations and yet she's really just biding her time in order to you know i'm assuming take control or something in some way <laughs> Uh, I, I wanted to shout out a moment back on the back on Eros where uh, Holden is sort of questioned, I think, by by Naomi and and uh, the, some of the rest of his crew. And he, it's when he's thinking about going with Miller to investigate what's going on, why people are being rounded up. And they essentially say, like, well, it's not your problem. And he says, well, I'm making it my problem. But, but he has this moment where he, like, stops for a second. And he's, like, trying to, like, find a way that it could be his problem. And he realizes there is no way. And then he just says, well, I'm making it my problem. And right. that made me like him. Actually, I, I, that was, like, very true to the character they'd set up at this point, right? Like, mm-hmm. he just has a savior complex. He wants to save people. And so you gotta, you kind of got to root for a character like that. Like, yeah. he's putting himself out there. That's that's truly something selfless to do when he could just run in that moment, but he decides he's not going to. And it leads to the situation that they end up in. Like, they eventually go around and see everybody who's... Be- so, my thing is, like, they're they're being dosed with radiation, but at the same time being they're getting hit with the the uh, virus or whatever we're calling this thing this plague this molecule yeah so everybody's being hit with that and then they're being hit with radiation because it exacerbates it and makes it grow faster yeah, and like activates it or something it seems right like. uh and uh so but there are people who are not in like radiation chambers there's people who are like in a in a call in like a train at one point who yeah. who they like open the train and there's a bunch of people laying on the ground. Um, those people were just hit. I'm assuming hit with the molecule and then just left to, like you know what I mean. They weren't they weren't being hit by the radiation as well. So there I'm, might I have guess been a fully... way that they'd rigged up the tram to like trap them and then irradiate them as well. I think it's possible. We didn't we weren't shown that, but it seems to be the the game plan is to do that right. And yeah, that that's where we lend this episode right with Miller and Holden getting hit with a lethal dose of radiation we find out, which is quite a cliffhanger to end on. If we if I hadn't already read this portion of the story, this first half and realized that like they're clearly going to make it through, this like sort of that moment where he's like we're dead, like we just got hit by the like an insane amount of radiation uh and to leave it as a cliffhanger to the last episode, like that's that's the definition of a cliffhanger. I did wonder how he knew that. <laughs> he didn't have a Geiger counter on him. Yeah. Like maybe he recognized what that beam was is the only guess. But like you can't feel that. Like as we know from Chernobyl, like it's invisible and you can't feel it and it yeah. just fucks you up. 
Well, in the book, yeah. he there was he knew somehow because I can't remember exactly how, but like he had a device that you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense, or I can't remember yeah. what happened, but well, it's like <laughs> even if it's like you know, he could assume if it's something that's common on a on a station to like. I don't know, irradiate things, which I don't know why you would do that. But if it's a common thing that's on a station, maybe he's like, oh, that's like a, too much for us to handle. He must recognize that beam. That's a radiation yeah. beam. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he can smell it. He As can smell have. the amount of radiation. <laughs> yeah. I've got one right um, over there. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing in this episode that I do want to mention is um, Fred reveals that Earth made the ships. Like he's got that that little chip and he's, he's giving this whole speech and he's broadcasting it to the whole system. Uh, I mean, that was his power move, right? That was his moment to basically, like, he's going to leverage that with Holden in order to get a seat with the UN and Mars and everybody and get the OPA's agenda on the board. Uh, and he very quickly, and and I feel like, truthfully, as far as I'm concerned, um, showed that, that it was Earth that was behind all, all these attacks and everything, or at least Earth tech. Or, yeah, Earth tech. I love that every faction is being implicated here, right? Like, we've already seen a lot of stuff implicating Mars. Now we're seeing stuff implicating Earth. The OPA seems like this terrorist organization that's probably behind things. And, and it just shows why everybody distrusts everybody and there's mounting tension. Um, I think that's a hard thing to set up in a believable way. And, you know, kudos to, to them to be able to do it here because I do believe this. And, and it totally makes sense that this would be uh, this would be kind of spiraling out of control like it is. Yeah. So episode 10 is called Leviathan Wakes. Miller, Holden, and his crew fight their way to the Rosinante to escape Eros. On Earth, Ava Sorella fears the, for the stability of Earth's government and her family's safety. So just to start it off, I, I think one of the first scenes is the scientist uh, kind of talking to some random grunt, and he's just talking about, like, you fail your father and this and that. and uh, But he's, like, taking, taking all of these uh, samples from Julie's body and just, yep. you know, that's how they're dosing everybody, obviously. But uh, who the hell is this guy? Like, like his, clearly, well, his name his name is Dresden, apparently. Right. But like, <laughs> is he is he working with he's clearly working with Julie Mao's father. But should we yep. theorize about Julie Mao's father? Is he is he in line? Because it seems like at the end he's he's there with some U.N. people. But is he some sort of like his own faction thing that's working alongside the U.N.? Or is it like he's a part of the U.N.? Well, Jesse probably knows the answer to some of these questions, <laughs> but I'm going to give my, I think this is clearly like a separate faction from earth or maybe the moon that is working with earth tech and is trying to make things look like, it, you know, earth did it and trying just, just trying to start wars. Um, I don't know if it's to profit. I don't know if they're going to like profiteer and sell, sell, you know, arms or, or for what reason. But, um, yeah, I think that, I think clearly this is, we're getting, re you know, revealed like who's behind this at least somewhat here, and it yeah. seems like it's Julie Mao's father. So uh, Holden and Miller, buddy cop, buddy. I guess they're both not cops, but buddy adventure that they go on. I think feel like is what the the whole first season was building to with having them separate at first, and eventually they come together and just the two of them sort of butting heads and their personalities clashing. What do you guys think of this? I I really liked the way that their personalities clashed, and I mean they definitely are setting it up for um, kind of a, a conflict of worldviews, you know? Miller's, like, very kind of similar to Amos' worldview of just, like, well, we're all going to die, and this is just the part that we're playing, and this guy's going to die right now because he's in our way. 
and Holden just be mm-hmm. like, oh no, <laughs> we're going to save everybody if yeah. we can. Definitely. Yeah. I, that, I mean, this, this episode is probably my actual favorite. Um, extremely good. And really, really mainly for the Hill, uh, Miller Holden stuff. And uh, yeah, I think you see Miller's sort of like brutal view of the world, his willingness to kill people um, that shocks Holden. It, it it shows very starkly like what Holden is capable of and what he's not capable of. And we see that Miller is a very different person than him. And um, it challenges him. Like it challenges his worldview. Are you willing to kill people to, to achieve your goals in, in this way? Um, but at the same time, I, I like that we're, we're... So in a sense, it's kind of showing a weakness to Holden's character. But at the same time, we're seeing some weaknesses from Miller's character. Um, I love there's a couple of moments where he he says like, I have never been anywhere. When he asks him, like, do you know, how do you know your way around here? And he's like, I've never been anywhere. He's only ever been on series. And you can tell this is because he thinks he's dying. Like, you can tell he really regrets that he's never been anywhere and seen anything else. And at one point, he even says, like, what does rain, what does rain taste like? How could you ever leave a place like Earth? And you can tell that he's feeling he's feeling sad that he's never experienced things like that. And so we're seeing some weakness from his character if you want to call that weakness, but we're seeing some vulnerability from his character, mm-hmm. I guess. And, and the way both of them kind of turn and, and then they also have that bonding of like, they're dying together. So they're both like going to be more open with each other and, and it's going to change the dynamic in a way that you're not going to be if you're not dying. So, um, God, this, I just think this is a really cool sort of a whole bit with them, even while the other, the other stuff going on with the other characters is also very good. Um, mm-hmm. I just really like that. And then if, if, where it leads to the, um, the showdown with the with the uh OPA part riot where Mil- thing. Where the, yeah miller kind of incites the riot which i thought mm-hmm. was a really cool moment because he kind of knows the lingo and he he gets up there and he says blood is on the wall there's like a couple lines I actually wrote down because i thought they were really cool uh, i think that's it blood's on the wall it's time to rise up he says that a couple times and it really like stokes everybody and gets everybody going and i don't know just really good stuff yeah and i mentioned before this sort of uh arcade scene that i really like just this like juxtaposition of yeah. like happy arcade area with like bright colors and just Which in terms is somewhere of like, he grew up we right. learn <laughs> and and then in terms of like breaking up the the grays and the blues and things like that that you see on a space station is it's just visually cool uh i love that they're hitting each other hitting themselves with like iodine or whatever we, they've established was like some sort of medicine for ra- this sort of massive amount of radiation i thought it was some sort of um like focus upper thing that was like keeping them moving even though i, I didn't okay. think it was actually helping with the radiation at all it was okay. just like keeping them going it was some sort of adrenaline or something i, I yeah. they probably said what it was and maybe i just missed it i think they did uh and then the other thing i wanted to talk about was with miller all of the oh, this goes back to my theory thing that I was that I felt like was being set up from basically episode six on. Is Miller dead or what? Like it's it just like they're really leaning into the fact that um, he he doesn't have a purpose anymore with Julie Mao. Like all the thing, the failure of the Julie Mao and not having having found her, but having it be like a, a poor outcome for him. Um, he is. He seems to have taken a higher dose of radiation than Holden. I noticed that Holden like moved out of the room a little faster. So they're <laughs> trying to say that he got hit with like a lethal dose because he's like like puking blood and stuff. Whereas like I didn't see Holden doing that as much. Um, he's just like overall like beat like he he just seems like he's lost his will to live. He's talking about like like Earth as, just like the Mars guy did. The Mars guy was talking about like what was Earth like before he died. 
remember the Mars um, yeah. sort of commander that they had on their ship? He was like, oh, Earth, how could you how could you ever leave it? And what was it like? And all that kind of thing. And now Miller's like, rain and this and that. It just seems like, is is this guy going to fucking die like first episode of season two? I don't <laughs> well, think don't that he will. don't tell us, Jesse. Yeah. He's acting like he wants to know, but he doesn't want to know. Yeah, I'm don't tell you. me. <laughs> I just, I'm theorizing because Secret it seems, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that they kill him. I think that there's like just too much that, that is on, hasn't been kind of shown yet but it seems like he's a dying like he's on his way to dying but also in the book didn't they both get on the ship and then get saved immediately uh i don't like, know that we got that far in the book uh, i thought you might have read like, one more chapter than me though i don't know i think i did yeah so spoilers so, if so that yeah happens. i don't know but um I, I will i think what they're doing here and i could be completely wrong but i think in the, they are breaking him down to like you know the barest bones <laughs> mm-hmm. he's being he's being broken he's losing everything he thought he knew and um i'm going to be really curious to see where they build him back up now because i think that's going to be the arc for him is is finding new purpose finding a new will to live and a new reason to go on and a new uh new mission because he, he clearly needs something is it going to be vengeance i don't know um but i yeah i'm fascinated to see what they do with miller because it does feel like this is a character who sort of lost everything and um, could be destined for death. But I, I think we're instead going to see the, you know, the Phoenix rise from the ashes and we're going to see some new version of Miller going forward. I hope. <laughs> no comment, right? Jesse? <laughs> no comments. <laughs> uh, so we get the Holden showdown with the stowaway who is, who's still on this and he's trying to Hanzo. get Hanzo. I actually have his name here, I think, or at least they call him Hanzo at, at one point. Hanzo, you said? Kenzo is what okay. the Kenzo is that what it is? Maybe I misheard it. Okay, sorry. Kenzo. I've got the Wikipedia page pulled up, and that's what it's saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. He like is like again trying to manipulate Holden, but Holden has kind of been uh, muddied by by Miller. Like the influences of each other are kind of rubbing off. I can already see like Miller and Holden are rubbing off on each other. Um, now Holden seems like he's capable of killing someone after going around the after going around Eros and trying to survive with Miller and uh, he just seems like he learned something about how yep. naive he was. And They're rubbing kind of off thing. on each other a little bit, yeah. maybe. So so then he has the showdown with him. He fires a bunch of shots. Miller's there, sees it, and they uh, kind of stumble to get to this. Oh, sorry. That then the riot happens, and then after the riot, yeah. uh, that's they, fine. They stumble to this elevator and like you're they're both basically dying and just talking to each other. And then um, Amos shows up. But first, it's Julie Mao. We, we, no, before that, we got to talk about they're getting ready to go up. And then he stop He stops the door and he's like, hey, so and so he calls his name. Come here. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the guy he recognizes from station. And he calls him over to like get him on the elevator and he just shoots him in the head. And then it's, he's like, oh, yeah, he deserves it. Believe me. Um I, I yeah. thought that was a really interesting moment for Miller there. Just like it's like he didn't need to do that. That guy was gonna die anyway. Well, I think but that he clearly wanted to. <laughs> I I might be wrong with this, but I thought that that the he said he clearly deserves it. I need to go back and check, but I thought that this was the guy who like pinned Havelock to the wall. Oh no, it is. Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. So yeah, he did deserve it then, right? He did, At but he could have left eyes. him. He was gonna yeah. die. Like that's the implication. But yeah, he was like, I'm gonna kill this guy personally. Yeah. Which I think tells us something about the way Miller <laughs> views the world, right? Well, I wanted to mm-hmm. say something about the um, Holden shooting it at the spy, because mm. in any other episode, I wouldn't have believed that he would actually kill him, and he doesn't in this episode. But I didn't know 
you know, watching this as like, he might actually kill him. He's like, right yeah. at that point, been hanging out with Miller too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's exactly. been seeing Miller execute guys left and right. Um, and, and he kind of does, it is a death sentence. So it, in, in a way, it is sort of, you know, telling him he's going to die. So, But he's not able to pull the trigger. Exactly. He's not quite there. He can't quite be like Amos yeah. or... Or Miller, and it's good to not have three characters who are all stone cold killers. I think like it's good to have have a different kind of character, and you know, and provide that comparison. Yeah, my question is, have they set up a character now who now we're now it's obvious though. Like now we're looking for the moment that that Holden actually kills someone. Um, yeah, and it's going to be either a big maybe. moment or does he ever kill anyone ever? Um, I don't know. You know, now yeah, it's become now it's a big deal. That's he, what that, it depends someone. on what they're playing at, what kind of story they want to tell. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm curious to see where, where it goes. Um, I'd say if, if we were talking about a classic grimdark story, then it would tend to be that like sort of the corruption of innocence and eventually everybody gets worse and more murderous, but, um, maybe that's not where they're going here. I, I don't know, you know? Um, so I'm curious to see where that goes too. So basically the last few things here are Naomi in the tunnels. They meet up with some people. They save a couple of people at the last minute. Uh, she's kind of navigating the tunnels and I think it's basically clear now that she's OPA because she's understanding all the stuff about or the tunnels she that was, she may have have she been was. OPA previously yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we get Miller and Holden with the elevator like I was just talking about uh, they are found like Amos finds them but at first they, at first uh, Miller sees him as as Julie Mao and then it like has a great transition like just like a like a matching cut and then yeah. it cuts it cuts to Amos and he's like you guys look like shit <laughs> yeah and uh, uh god there's a couple of great aimless moments here um i really liked the so there's also uh miller's former friend or guy he knows on eros who's with the group and then they meet this other group and the guy the guy gets infected and then later on he's just not there anymore and and um they go where's that scruffy guy and it's like, oh, we're better off. He, uh, he, we left him behind. Right. And then they looked at Amos, and again, in a moment that I didn't expect from him, he's like, we're better off. <laughs> like, he yeah, just agrees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not wrong. They, they probably are better off. Yeah, uh, but it's like, it's like he can be super brutal, but then like, you just don't know what he's gonna say. I don't know. I really like that about mm-hmm. him. So they've all met on the ship at this point. Miller sees that they that Amos killed uh, his friend. Which is, I'm assuming, going to be a point of contention later. Well, we got to talk about that because that was that was a really, I don't know, amazing moment. I thought because because they yeah. had set up Amos to be agreeing with this guy. Like, yeah, we're kind of on the same page. Was mm-hmm. that Amos playing him? I don't know. Or if he, was he really on the same page up until that point? Because he pulls well, a he gun on was. Naomi and Amos yeah. doesn't has doesn't, almost doesn't have any reaction at all. Um, until but that, he does. I think it's just being po- yeah, like playing poker. And then, yeah, he like tells him, go do this thing because he thinks he's fully on his side and then just executes him. Uh, Really, really crazy scene, but good one. Yeah, I think, I mean, Amos was almost on his side the entire time until he pulled the gun on Naomi and then he was like, no, you're dead. Yeah, but it didn't, he didn't display that in his face at all, like completely stone. Like it it looked like he didn't care. And I think even Naomi didn't know if she was like looking at him like, do you, are you going to do anything about this? And he was just like, I'm I'm not. And she kind of was, I think, doubting because their relationship has been a little rocky of late. So I think it kind of makes sense that she would be unsure. And it just shows that like, even she doesn't know what he's really capable of, you know, and that backs up the thing they said earlier, where it's like, maybe she's a little bit afraid of him. Whereas Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen that before, but the more I get to know him, the more I can see that and see like why she might actually be a little afraid of him. And great moment for the audience too. Like for us, it's like, it's very clearly such a dramatic and awesome moment because we are along the ride with Naomi. We're like, oh shit, Amos is on his side and then bang, execute. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, and then basically from there, it's just the uh, everybody's on the ship and they they are clamped in still. And Alex just like he's like to hell with all this, and he drops all the gas stuff. And like I said before, that's kind of a badass moment where they're like, "This is us. This is the end of season one. Looking forward to season two. And then they fly off. <laughs> Looking forward to season two. That was the final line he said. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when Alex. Yeah, Alex said that. He's like to hell with this. Looking forward to season two. <laughs> Well, and then there's the very final moment of the uh, spy and getting eaten by the proto molecule, yeah. or that mm-hmm. starts Goodness. mimicking him. What was and that? You're just like, what is happening? It's like now? there's like a there's like a hologram version of him that's like teleporting around him, and like then the the crazy arm comes down. Like you said kind of Stranger Things, um, although I guess this predates it. Um, but yeah, and then I'm like, is that the Leviathan that's waking? Is it this this? Have they created a like monster on Eros now? Is Eros like a living organism? Going to be connected all these different bodies and and I don't know like something crazy is happening. Yeah, my theory is we talked about the book in the book and like sort of the the genesis of this idea. They had aliens in mind. I think we're going to get some sort of like whatever molecule human hybrid like humanoid sentient creatures yeah. from this maybe. And they're also but, continu- but like, I mean the, the, we have no idea why like why is he doing this, right? Right, yeah. You, wait, I like guess. you mean the molecule or the guy? The guy, like if 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 Julie Mao's father is behind oh, all I this and he's deliberately yeah. creating this situation on Eros. No, I don't think that was an intention. I don't think that was intentional. I think it's just a you byproduct. Don't? No, I think oh, that, see, I, I don't. I think thought he, he knew this was going to happen. No, no, no. I I think he I I think he meant to create like a bioweapon, but I don't think that he predicted that it would become sentient and like do this weird shit at the end, like oh. become. So maybe it's like out of, even out of his control. I think, I think that's probably what we're looking Once again, at. Jesse probably knows exactly the answer to these, but we'll have you hold them. I did want to talk about another like sort of quieter moment, but another, I think very interesting one is there were, really there's two that are, that are pretty striking. Miller um, looking at the dead, his dead friend, and Amos saying, I shot him. No explanation as to why. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very Amos moment. It's just like, yeah, I shot him. And then, so we don't know how Miller's going to react to that, right? Like, how's he going to feel about that? And then um, Naomi and Holden have this moment where they're, like, actually holding hands. And um, it that really seems like the strongest emotional connection, sort of romantic, you know, possibilities forming. And um, potentially, and it looks like both characters recognize it in the moment. Like this seems like they recognize that they're they feel something for each other. So the question then becomes: Next season, are they going to follow through with any of that, or are they going to like back away and say like we can't do this? Or so you know, in that sense, I think it's also an interest for next season of like where's this going, and makes me want to mm-hmm. watch the next season. Yeah, a lot of dangling threads. I think. Um... I'm like I'm not that interested in the, their love story. If there's going to be one, I guess there's like tension to be had there for sure. Um, You're not feeling of, it. Sounds like <laughs> I'm not feeling it. I, the Miller stuff. I'm like the Miller like having his you best have, friend. Do, killed. Does he have a cold black heart? I thought I had the cold black heart on the show, but maybe <laughs> maybe it's you right now. Not not in it for the romance, huh? Not in this case. I just felt like it, like <laughs> I I was interested in the character of Naomi as like standing up and and like not i i, I don't know what it, you don't I, want her to be a love interest you want it to be i don't like, like the idea yeah i don't like the idea of these characters ha- being put through that as well but again it's like i i think that that's what makes this story potentially engaging for other people because there are people who will like that and there are people who yeah. will engage with a 
uh, like a love triangle situation that might be going on with Amos. And I don't know that this is necessarily love with Naomi and him as much as like it could create tension with him and Amos or with Naomi and Amos if anything does happen with Holden and Naomi. But I I don't know. Just it doesn't it doesn't seem like romantic to me between her and Amos. It seems more like almost brotherly or or something else. Some sort of protective thing, but not not romantic. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard because I, I want you to weigh in, Jesse, but I feel like you also know a lot about what's going to happen in the future. But maybe just in general at this moment as a snapshot, what do you think of, of this um, this relationship? Does it feel like uh, that it's appropriate for this point in the story? Do you like it or do you not? I think I would say it feels like it's convenient that there's a woman on the crew and she's has sort of feelings for the captain and vice versa. And I, so for me, I'm just like, well, can't we just have a story that doesn't have that involved in it? Um, yeah, it, it feels a little bit more like, Hey, we're two people. You're kind of hot. I'm kind of hot. Than it does have any sort of substance to it. Well, I guess I'm going to be the one who, I don't know. I was kind of feeling it, you know? And, and, and I agree. Cause I, I there is, I, I think that, I mean, I, I like Alex as a character, but, I kind of think that maybe having one more woman in the crew who is not romantically involved with anyone could have helped alleviate some of this problem. Like you said, she's the only woman. So that creates sort of this issue. Um, But still, I think she can be a really interesting dynamic character who, you know, has a really important role to play beside any romantic connection. Yet there still could be this romantic, um, thing going on between her and Holden that could be interesting and it could be realistic too, right? Like, you, you, you know, the people we fall in love with and the people we like are the people we're around and you know what I mean? Ultimately, and they're around each other and they've gone through a lot of shit together and they're both good looking people and they're both single and it's like, it could happen and probably would happen. Um, I just think she's way know. too it's... cool for Holden's pout. She's too cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who do you, who do you ship her with instead? That's the real question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe Miller and Holden. That that should be the ship. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that it's being shipped. Yeah, they can really learn a lot from each other. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, overall, I'm I'm sold on the show. Like I, as we talked about before, I, I want to continue uh, watching the show. I'm excited for next week when we're going to talk about the book. Uh, did you guys have any other general stuff that you wanted to to finish up with? Just one more thought about the romance. <laughs> I know we've hit it a lot here, <laughs> but um, I think I think the reason that I'm that I am more pro this romance is you wear your heart on your sleeve, and you're you're a, a hopeless romantic. I'm a bleeding heart. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I think in the show they've done a lot more work to set up these characters. Um, yeah, having a relationship. Whereas I think in the book, I'm with you. It felt tacked on. It felt unnecessary, and it felt weird. Here I felt like they've been they've been doing the work of the previous episodes of setting up their relationship and um how much they rely on each other and respect each other. And in that sense to me it feels like a more organic thing to develop between the two of them. Um but it's weird because you do have to separate yourself from book and show. And that can be kind of difficult to do sometimes because I, I agree that in the book it feels pointless. It feels like why are they doing I, this? So I don't know for I agree. Like, I definitely think that they're doing the groundwork for it. But for myself personally, I just felt like I, like a scene that that has any sort of like romance between Naomi and Holden is much less interesting to me than when she was like at odds with Holden. But that's just like, I, I don't know. 
Sure. This is probably personal preference. I kind of think that we're going to see much more of that. I, I don't know that this is actually going to go anywhere. Um, I could be wrong, but um, mm-hmm. we, we, we will just have to find out. But uh, yeah, Jesse, do you have any final thoughts you want to give on uh, The Expanse, the TV show? You're going to come back next week, we should announce. So you're going to join us next week for the book um, to talk about that. But for the TV show, what are your, what are your final thoughts on it? I am super excited to get my husband home from his travel so that we can finish watching season three and start on season four. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> is it is it one of your favorite shows? Would you say that? Um, yeah, I'd, I would definitely put it up there. Okay. So it sounds like you maybe do have some reservations where it's not just like unabashedly love everything about it. Yeah, I, I guess I would say like there's times when it feels maybe like it's a little slow or cheesy and I, I, we would have binged through the end of season three like i'm not sure why we didn't i can't remember what knocked us out of it because it i mean it was scheduled for sure but it's like when you put a book down halfway through and you never remember remember to come back to it like why didn't we remember Mm -hmm. to come back to it yeah Um, it kind of says something right yeah but i do i i do really enjoy it i think at the end of the day like it's like there's not a ton of like solid sci-fi shows. I mean, there are. There, there definitely are a good like ten fingers of of uh, sci-fi shows on on TV. I'm sure that are that are very good. But I would say it's probably in that in that top ten of of like sci-fi shows out there right now. Whether you know whether it's the perfect sci-fi show for you or not, it's definitely like one of the better ones out there right now. And I think it's, well, and it's, it's very a very it's a very like. I mean, it's space opera. It's 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 a big sci-fi show that is wearing it on its sleeve. Like you know what I mean? Like it's it's hard to compare it to, to some other types of sci-fi that you know it's that aren't dealing with spaceships and space stations and gravity and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a one-to-one comparison, but I was thinking a lot about because you mentioned like what you asked me and like I think our first one like what space opera books I've read, and I was realizing that like I probably haven't read all that many space opera books specifically, but like the story is familiar to me—a space opera story from movies and other things. But this show makes me think a lot of, and I mentioned I mentioned um, by or I mentioned dead space at one point and there's a little yeah. bit of that but really what it makes me think of is like a smaller version of mass effect if you yeah. really played mass effect it's very mass effect to me that's my comparison <laughs> <laughs> i can see that well we want to thank jesse for joining us uh she will be back next week but uh go ahead and let people know where they can find you where they can find your books um where they can find you on twitter so on and so forth well you can find me at jessiequack.com that's j-e-s-s-i-e-k-w-a-k um and that's kind of my hub for everything i do you'll find all my books there etc um i'm at j quack on twitter and quack jesse on instagram those are probably the two places that i hang out the most i'm also the first 10 pages of google results for my name so if you (laughs) if you can't remember any of those just google jesse quack and you'll find me Now, I was on your website earlier, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have some, you have like a free sample up, right? Like if people want to just check it out, check out your series, is is it the start of the series or is it a standalone? I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I've got a, a novella that's available for free um, that's set in the world that my main series is in, um, but it's it's not a necessary read before you jump into the first book. Awesome. So if people want to check it out, that'd be a good way to kind of dip their toes in, see if they want to buy. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. So this week, we want to thank Christina C. for being a patron. 
Uh, we really appreciate your support. You help keep this podcast going. And uh, all of our patrons, we want to thank you for, for supporting us. If you'd like to find out how to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com slash film. You can find all of the bonus content we have available on there, including uh, a recent bonus episode we did where we talked about some Game of Thrones commentary that got leaked. And we also talked about a short story by Neil Gaiman that was a retelling of the Snow White story. So it was, it was a fun episode to record, and we hope you uh, go check that out. Yeah, thank you to all our patrons. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And please join our Council of Inklings because that's where we post polls. We post any sort of adaptation news that we see. Uh, and we just kind of keep the conversation going over there. And that is on Facebook, in case that wasn't clear. Um, yeah, and if you wanted to, you can also join our, we have like a Goodreads book club that we don't talk about a ton, but there is actually a pretty good number of people in there. And sometimes we get some discussion going on the forums there so if you're on goodreads definitely come check that out just search groups for ink to film book club and you'll you'll find it um yeah we also wanted to thank ross bugden for the use of our intro and outro music and thank you to jennifer delazana for providing our transcripts and once again thank you to jesse for coming on and we're looking forward to next week absolutely we will see you guys next week for the second half of leviathan wakes but until next time thanks for listening thanks for listening